All right, Jeremiah, verse 32, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is how dates were kept in those days. We wouldn't say November 7th, 2021. We'd say, well, it was in this this many years of, of the reign of this king. But on that day, for then the king of Babylon's army, verse 2, besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not secede. So the setting is lockdown. And not like the lockdown we had a year and a half ago for two weeks to flatten the curve. No, this is some serious lockdown where there's armies around the city and they've got their siege equipment. And according to the great uh, Adam Clark, the 18th century Bible commentator, uh, the siege had been going on six months already. And when the siege is underway, they've got these armies around and you just don't go in and out. And what happens in a, in a city when no one goes in or out? What kind of conditions start to, to come, right? It's not, it's not easy. Food becomes scarce and, and, and things get scary. And it's not necessarily always hot warfare every day. Yeah, there might be things flung over and, and some advances on the walls, but a lot of it's just waiting things out. And when this is going on, this is what Jeremiah, the prophet of God, proclaims, we're going to lose. It's over. Now, any of you guys that have been in the military or been on a sports team, is that really the, the, what you want proclaimed from a teammate? Is that the mess? No, we're going to pull it out. Guys, it's going to work out. We just got to give it all we got, and it's going to work, right? Now, that's not Jeremiah's message here. Judgment is falling. We're going to lose. You're going to fight, and you're going to lose. By the way, this is the message that Jeremiah had been proclaiming for many years. He proclaimed this message again and again that God was going to judge the sin of his people. And now as the armies are around and, and, and King Zedekiah and his forces are resisting as best they can, they want to win this. They don't want to be taken. Jeremiah says, we're going to lose. In fact, he says, if you look at verses 3 and 4, that, that idea that... Um, it says, you shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. What, what the prophet Jeremiah is referring to is the fact that a, a servant in those days, especially a servant in the king's court, you know, the king's standing there doing what he does, and when the servant doesn't have a specific task, his job is to just kind of sit there and watch the eyes, watch the direction of the king, and the king goes and signals him in the and the servant runs, and, and, and the, he might speak one word, and the servant jumps, and on the way up he says, how high? And he says, King Zedekiah, you're on the throne right now, but you're going to be reduced to this. You're going to be a servant. 
You're going to be a servant to Nebuchadnezzar, the slave, the slave. And he speaks these things. And how did that go over? Was he popular for saying this message? Did they have a parade in his honor? Oh, thank you, Jeremiah. No, he was not very popular for speaking this truth. In fact, it says that, that he was uh, imprisoned for this message. This Zedekiah was not happy with this message. It's interesting, uh, most people, Christian or not, are, are happy to get a message that things are going to go well in their life, right? But sometimes it doesn't go over so well when it's the opposite message. You've heard people speaking of standing on the promises of God. And usually those promises that, that, that they're referring to is promises that things are going to go well. Have you ever heard somebody standing on the promises of God saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a liar, I tell lies whenever it benefits me, and God's promises is that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire, so I'm just standing on that promise. You've probably not heard that, because we tend to get excited about good things happening to us and not just things that happen to us necessarily. But Jeremiah spoke truth, and believe it or not, the people didn't appreciate it. Let's turn to verse 6. Verse 6, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamiel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Mahaseah, in the presence of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. So he's given a lot of details of how this transaction went. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. It was very unusual to be purchasing land at this time. Very unusual. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both the purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that it may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed in this land again. Imagine being under siege. Imagine having enemy armies all around you, and you've got a little money. Anybody, anybody out there think, you know, it's a good time to buy some property. I tried to sell a house in 2011. Anybody remember 2011? It wasn't exactly a seller's market. Yeah, it wasn't 2021. And here is Jeremiah. When food is scarce, you think that might be a little better investment right now, right? He's buying property. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because the word of the Lord had come to him and said, I want you to do it. And sometimes God's directions that he gives us in a crisis don't make sense 
God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes we can't lay things out on a flowchart. And here's the pros of this decision, the negatives of this decision. No, God had, had spoken to Jeremiah. He gave him a direction. And he was to do it. And he's to buy this property because in buying this property, he's proclaiming his faith and he's showing to people that though this army is going to come, they're already here, they're going to cart you off just as been prophesied. You're going away for 70 years, but I'll tell you what, we're coming back. There's going to be, there's going to be houses and fields and vineyards again in this land. Oh, I'll tell you, without faith, the Bible says, it's what? It's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God, but sometimes it's hard to really know the faith that is within us until we're in a pressure cooker situation. And it's one thing to sing songs of, of faith in God and, oh, I trust God with my life and all oh, where he leads me, I'll follow. But what about when you're Abraham and he says, I'd like you to put your, your son on the altar? What about when you're Jeremiah and you're under siege and you're in jail for doing right and he says, I want you to buy a house? <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense. And faith is tested and proven in pressure cooker situations. Years ago, I heard the testimony of a man who'd been in the, the Battle of Guadalcanal, World War II. Pretty intense battle. The Marines were in it. And he said that there was a guy in his unit as they were training that he was kind of thought the most hardcore guy in the unit. I mean, he was just eating it up in the training, and he was just, he was considered the man. In fact, he even had a, a tattoo in a prominent place that said, death before dishonor. I guess that's a Marine thing. Any Marines in here? No Marines in here? Well, they, they're thought to be pretty hardcore, right? Death before dishonor. But guess what? During the battle, this man actually got scared and ran and hid and ended up in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas in a military prison for cowardice. You see, it was one thing to, to speak of this bravery and I'd rather die than bring dishonor to my troops. But when the pressure was on, this man proved what was inside. The pressure was on Jeremiah and he was given something to do and he did it. And it says he had Baruch, his faithful attendant, carry out his wishes and purchase the land even though it made absolutely no sense. And why? Because to a man of God, the word of the Lord is more important than circumstances. The Word of God is more powerful than even what I'm seeing with my own eyes. He exercised faith, exercised truth. Let's turn to verse 16. Now, when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, anybody know this song? Ah, oh, Lord God. Who remembers that song? It used to be... It's kind of dating myself by singing that. I remember singing it in church when I was a kid. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. There's nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, you are great in counsel and mighty in work to your eyes, are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. 
You set signs and wonders in the lands of Egypt to this day, and in Israel and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You've given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they came in and took possession of it. But listen, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They've done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come to the city to take it, and the city has been given into the hands of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord, buy the fields for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I'm the Lord. The God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? By the way, that would be a great thing to put up to show yourself every day. Where God says, is anything too hard for me? Is he not God? Is he not all powerful? Is anything too hard for him? If you read on in in, uh, chapter 32 of Jeremiah, he goes on to tell what's going to happen. You know, he's, been, he's been prophesying this. He's been saying it was going to go down and, and, and bad things were going to happen. Difficult things. And it, it didn't matter how prepared you were. You know, it's, it's a good idea to make preparation for hard times. That's, that's wisdom. But when, but when the judgment of God is coming down, nobody escapes that. Nobody escapes that. God's people were on their way to 70 years of captivity But redemption was on its way. God's purposes were to be fulfilled and a remnant was going to come back into the land. God was actually going to use this difficult turn of events to accomplish some wonderful purposes in his people. And Jeremiah, as he's saying all these things, he's he's saying, I'm buying this land. It makes no sense. It's absolutely crazy. But Nothing's too hard for you, God. I know you're going to take this act of faith and do something wonderful with it. Jeremiah was faithful in his generation. Jeremiah didn't get to see the people come back into the land, but Jeremiah, he fulfilled his purpose. He did. He did. I'll tell you what, if you want to fulfill your purpose in this generation, you know, we're we're promised in God's word that good's going to ultimately triumph, right? We've read the back of the book. Who wins, right? Yeah, God wins. We're not necessarily promised that in our lifetime we're going to see everything work out, right? Have you been promised that? I haven't seen it in my Bible that in my lifetime with my eyes, you know, pre, pre-resurrection of the dead that I get to see it all. But, but I am on the winning side with Jesus, and if I'm faithful to God's plan and the things he's put before me, I've done my job. I could die in my generation with faith. And if that is your ultimate goal, if, you're, if your goal is to be faithful to God and His purposes more so than just have the easiest life possible, I want you to consider following Jeremiah's pattern. This is what Jeremiah's pattern that I, I believe allowed him to get through this situation with faithfulness and, and fulfill his purposes in his generation. 
First thing is get to know God and his word. Get to know God and his word. You, you need both. You need to be in the word and know what it says, but you also, and I also, we need to hear from God. We need to be led. We need to know him personally. We need to meditate on his word and, and learn to practice his presence. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know, uh, Pastor Ben's in Matthew right now. And he was speaking a lot about the ministry of John the Baptist. And what was, what was John the Baptist's message? Repent. Repent. I really believe, I really believe that the people that repented at John's preaching, remember he was to prepare the way of the Lord? The people that repented at John's preaching, many of them were the same people that were ready to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And the ones that when John preached, they kind of just went like this. Those were some of the same people that didn't accept the Messiah who'd come for them. You see, when we, when we are repenting of sin, when we're turning from the known sin, the things that we know God doesn't want in our lives, it, it, it tenderizes us to the things of God, and it helps this word to, to, to not just be information and facts, but, but, but the spirit of the word and the things that God's speaking to my life. It helps us absorb us. And when we're, when we're walking in the light that we have, God begins to give more truth and more direction into it. But I'll tell you what, a person that has said, you know what, I know this area in my life doesn't please God, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm trusting the grace of God and, and almost using the grace of God as a license for sin. I'll tell you, if, that, if that's where we are, and I've been in that place at times in my life where I was Believing in God, but still living in sin, I'll tell you what, it's hard to hear the voice of God. And it's hard to really get revelation and inspiration from Scripture. But when we've repented of known sin and we're fighting that good fight and trying to put off the old man by the grace of God, God begins to speak with us and talk to us and direct us. He begins to give even specific directions. And you'll Hear that still small voice that at times will, will give you even specific instructions. I'll tell you what, we need to hear from God. We need to know Him. We need to be sensitive to His Word. and Sensitive to the specific directions that He gives to us. I mentioned this in first service that um, some of you heard my oldest son's testimony about getting saved, really radically saved. A man was prompted of God to do something that was really out of the ordinary and led to my son getting saved. And just a radical transformation. I'm so thankful. And we need to hear from God. We need to know God and His Word. And secondly, just from this pattern of Scripture that I see in Jeremiah's life, remember, if our goal is to be faithful in our generation, is speak the truth. Be a man, be a woman of truth. Don't live by lies. Jeremiah told the truth. He spoke the word of the Lord, whether it was popular or unpopular. He didn't, you know, kind of test the wind and say, let's, let's, uh, let's see how this message goes over and we'll kind of color it based on that. No, he just, he gave the word of the Lord and let the chips fall. I want to tell you, depending on your station in life, depending on what job you're in, Depending maybe on what family you're in, there will be a different reception to the word of the Lord. There'll be, there'll be some people that will pat you on the back for speaking the truth of God's word, and there will be some people that really don't like you for it. 
I encourage you to be a man, be a woman of truth. Here's a way, here's a relevant example. Um, I heard the testimony of a guy, he wasn't a, a personal friend of mine, but he was sharing his testimony. I was able to, to listen to it. Uh, he works in a corporate environment, in cubicles. And if you know anything about the corporate environment this day, especially large corporations, it's like the same person wrote the same statement on every socialist you know demand. They're all on the same page with everything. And it tends to be in opposition to many things that Christians hold dear. And it was Pride Month. And in their cubicle, nobody said they had to, but it was just kind of known that to be in the good graces of the company, if you wanted to progress ahead, that you needed to put up a little banner that celebrates pride. And pride in something that God is not proud of. I speak, you know what I'm talking about. And he spoke of this tension he had. Do I, do I just put it up even though I don't mean it? Or do I not put it up and, well, what? how come he's not, you know? How come, oh, he's one of those. There's a tension. You know, it's kind of like that. It's been like that many times in the history of the world of God's people needing to, to live by truth. You know, in the Soviet Union, if you had a shop, small shopkeeper, you were... You were to put up a little sign that says, Workers of the World Unite. And that was your way of saying, Hey, I'm on board. I'm, I'm playing along. And not everybody even felt that way, but they put the sign up because they knew if they didn't, somebody was going to break their window. Things were going to go bad for them. Jeremiah, though, remember, if our goal is to be faithful to God in our generation, is it, is it a higher priority to be a man of truth or is it a higher priority for everything to go smooth and easy and be patted on the back? by the powers that be. See, for, for Jeremiah, speaking truth was more important. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage me to be a man, to be a woman that lives by truth. And, and God's going to guide you to specifically how that looks. You know, there, there's, there's different ways God will call you to proclaim truth. But don't be, you remember the story, the um, emperor has, has no clothes? Remember that story, the children's story? There's going to be a, a, a temptation to kind of go along and, oh, look at these beautiful clothes the emperor has on. And remember, the reason everybody did it is because they didn't want to be outside the norm. They didn't want to, 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 have, to be persecuted. Finally, a little boy says the thing that everybody could really see. The emperor has no clothes. Oh, if you want to be faithful in your generation, speak the truth. Live not by lies. Oh, do it with meekness. Do it with gentleness. Do it full of the Holy Spirit. Do it with love in your heart as Christ did. But don't compromise. Don't flow with the wind. There's never been a man or woman of God in 2,000 years of church history that just kind of went with the flow. And, and at different times in the world, men and women of God have been somewhat controversial. That, that, that's just kind of the way it goes. Depends on the season. Oh, if you want to be a Jeremiah, if you want to be faithful in your generation, live a life of obedience. And sometimes that obedience might look a little radical and might not make sense to you or someone else. Remember, he was told to buy land. He was told to purchase land at the worst possible time. But I want to tell you, without faith, again, it's impossible to please God. And if you have walked with God long enough, okay, there's going to come a point where God is going to lead you or direct you to something that goes against what you think is your best interest. It's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. And the question at that time is going to become, am I going to be obedient? Do I serve my comfort? Do I see God as a means to get what I want so I can have the life I want? Or do I serve God as an end in himself and let the chips fall? You know, it's one thing to get up here and preach this encouraging message. I want to tell you, the dreams and the desires we have for our life, they're real. And the thought of giving that up is real, and we're human, and God knows that. But, but living a life of obedience is sometimes going to cross the desires that we have for our lives. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if God's never, you know, you know here, here, here's a great illustration. You know, what, you know what picking up your cross is and following Jesus for most of us? It's the intersection of God's will and my will. And to pick up our cross is saying, okay, God, you win. I'm going to go your way. We know it's hard. Christ said, though, if we don't pick up our cross, we're not, we can't really be his disciples. Praise God. Live a life of faith. Parents, live before your children a life of faith. Let them have things that they can see in your life that, you know what? What mom and dad are doing in this situation doesn't make any sense unless there's a God in heaven, unless they're serving something that's not of this world. Have things in your life that they can do that and say that about you. All right, next, expect God to deliver you. Expect him to provide your needs. He will. It might not always be the way we expect. He's promised he'll never leave nor forsake us. Sometimes a way of him providing for our needs is going to be for him to take us home to be with him. That has happened among the people of God, but he's always going to be with us. And there's always his hand will be with his people. Live a life of hope. Early in Jeremiah 29, so three verses earlier, you know, here that he's telling, he's telling the people who have ears to listen. You know, I'll say that the people within the nation that really had a heart for God, who are looking ahead for the real Messiah, he's telling them, look, build houses, plant gardens, grow family, be a blessing to your community. I want you guys to go forward. So it was always part of God's plan that even in this terrible time, God was going to somehow prosper his people and grow his people. In fact, if you look at the line, the genealogy of Jesus, his genealogy went through some of the people that were carted off into captivity, not the, the few that stayed behind. And actually, the ones that were carted off into captivity, they somehow, some way, the mighty hand of God, they prospered, even in Babylon, even in tough situations, even in this idolatrous, wicked Wicked nation, God had a way of feeding and caring for his people. It's awesome. God has a way of turning that which looks like a curse and that was meant to be a curse by the enemy into a blessing. He's God. He's God. His ways are not our ways. We can trust him. We don't have to finagle things and and, and skate this delicate balance. No, we can just be all in for God and he will take care of us. We're not in this by ourselves. We serve a mighty God. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful, and when he's ready, I'll tell you what, he's going to just take care of everything. Do you believe that? Yeah, it's truth. It's truth. You know, our feelings don't always believe that, but it's truth. It's truth. Earlier in this week, we had some kids over to our house um, uh, for a time of singing. And you know what? I should have been in there singing with the kids. You know where I was, though? I was with some of the dads, uh, we were talking politics. And what's more encouraging, talking politics or singing about God? 
So we're back there complaining about, you know, the political situation. And the kids start, you know, they're singing. And we're just kind of, you know, trying to not talk too loud to overpower them. And they start singing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I'll tell you what. We're just sitting there and we're like, oh my word. We can face tomorrow. Christ rose from the grave. He's alive. He's conquered death. He loves us. And here's what this conversation changed among these dads. We went from complaining, oh, the situation, to saying, you know what, maybe these hard times that look like they're coming, maybe God's going to use some of these challenging times to produce in our children qualities that couldn't come any other way. Maybe our kids are going to be more committed, more passionate about Jesus Christ, more set apart, more ready to, to, to lay down material wealth and be a missionary. And because of these challenges, maybe God is, is, is even answering some of our prayers for our children through some of these hard times that are coming because sometimes when life is, is a little too easy, sometimes we get soft. Sometimes we get spiritually flabby. And sometimes we, when we have a lot of status in this world, it's hard to set it aside and, and follow Jesus like the rich young ruler found. It totally changed the dynamic. It says later on in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call on me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I didn't say this in, in first service, but I'm going to add, learn, learn to praise and pray. Remember, Jeremiah didn't start praising God, declaring the majesty of God. He didn't start doing that after things worked out. You know, things never worked out in his lifetime. He was declaring the, the, the glory of God and declaring the power of God while he's locked up because he knew, you know what? God is more powerful than my situation and God will be exalted and it's all going to work out for his glory. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Learn how to praise. Learn how to praise. You know, worship in the Bible is often very quiet. Sometimes it's no words. Sometimes it's flat on their face. But praise is always verbal. Praise is always something we speak, something we declare. And there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when we feel the worst. We feel lousy and we begin to, even if we don't feel like it, to praise the Lord. When we begin to sing... It changes the atmosphere of the room. God begins to work. The Bible says that God lives in the praises of his people. And, and, and the awareness of God comes as we praise him. I'll tell you, if you take one, one thing from my message today that will help you, and I'm learning this too, the time you should sing the most is when you least feel like it. It will change things. It'll change things. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to close with this. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. We belong to God. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. 1,502 times. This is by my count. I know different people did get different counts. 1,502 times in different ways in the Bible, God tells his people, don't be afraid. Fear not. More than he tells you to love him. He's God. He's 
completely sovereign. There's not a thing in this world that happens that he doesn't allow. And he'll take even the very worst things. Guys, we have to receive this in faith, but it's true. He'll take even some of the worst things and in time, maybe not even in our lifetime, turn them around for good. And I want to tell you this, all things really do work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. You can trust God. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage me this morning. Let's be faithful to God in our generation, okay? Let's be faithful. That's what God's asked for us. He's asked you be faithful to me. That's what I want you to do. And he followed the pattern of Jeremiah in these things. Revelation 19, alleluia, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We take this by faith now, but I'll tell you, a day is coming when our faith will become sight. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me, and we will, we will close in prayer. Amen. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just I want to ask you this rhetorical question. Is your desire to be faithful to God in your generation? Is your desire to, to stand for Him and before Him? Yeah, we were made for God. We weren't made for ourselves. And life is, is complete when he's in his proper place in our life. And I just want to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you give us patterns. And, and just all throughout Scripture of, of, of men and women and even children of God who are, who are just like us, the same, same desires, the same pitfalls, the same temptations, the same fears, uh, but God, thank you for those, God, that were faithful in their generation. God, I want to thank you that you, you forgive our sins and give us a second chance when we failed you. God, help us to be a people that is faithful in our generation. Help us to be a people that, that bring honor and glory, not shame, to your name. God, do these things in us for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.